0: In today's episode of Discovering Wholeness, we'll discuss the vulnerable seeker.
1: If you have been manipulated or coerced or gaslit by a spiritual leader, it is not your fault. So I think we need to start there. Before we start talking about like what our responsibility is, it's important to say it's not your fault if this has happened to you. Um, I remember, you know, working through with my therapist some of the guilt and shame I felt around the fact that I had sort of let myself be a part of this um, abusive dynamic in my marriage, right? And she explained it to me this way. She said, you know, it's really not your job to know if someone is going to rob you. It's their job not to steal. Season one of Discovering Wholeness is sponsored by the Hayden Institute. Sharing the stories of our nightly dreams is an age-old practice for increasing self-awareness and discerning life purpose. The Hayden Institute offers a two-year certification course in dream work training, a valuable tool for spiritual directors, therapists, clergy, and others who wish to enhance their practice and deepen their work. Learn the tenets of Jungian psychology with the Hayden Institute's faculty and mentors. Translate the metaphor and symbol of dream language into a language that is helpful in your waking life. Learn more at haydeninstitute.com.
0: Welcome to Discovering Wholeness, a podcast for any human practicing being for healing trauma and unearthing self. I'm Kendra Frazier.
1: I'm Jillian Drader. And I'm Kendall Rothis. We are your hosts and we invite you to join us as we peel back the layers of trauma and discover our innate wholeness. Trauma
2: has been a significant part of many of our journeys, whether those traumas are with a big
0: T or with a little T. We gather each week to discuss trauma, spirituality, and staying grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing.
1: We are so glad you've joined us. You can participate in the larger conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook at Discovering Wholeness Podcast. While trauma is an exciting and important subject to the three of us, we recognize it's also a really sensitive subject. And it's possible that listening to these episodes could stir up big feelings, intense feelings. And that's why we invite you to join us in a grounding exercise at the beginning, middle and ending of each episode. When your feelings are getting larger and larger, it can be helpful to stop, to pause, to ground. And you can do that maybe with your breath or if your breath isn't helpful, you can do that by using one of your five senses to return to your body. So the grounding exercise that I invite you to today will use touch. So I invite you to simply take your hands and massage them together, placing some pressure into your palms, using some pressure on each of your fingers. And as you do this gentle hand massage, continue to breathe in and out, breathing in and out, feeling your fingers and your palms, squeezing them together, breathing in and out.
0: I'm Kendra Frazier, and I'll be facilitating today's conversation with my co-hosts, Kendall Rothis and Jillian Drader. Today's episode is titled, The Vulnerable Seeker. We are defining seeker today as anyone who is in search of spiritual connection. The construct of religion exists because the world is made up, I believe, of seekers. We seek to find spiritual communities that values, sees, and knows us, and simultaneously can assist us in strengthening our understanding of and engagement with God I believe most seekers also hold an expectation that this spiritual community will always serve and build relationships from a place of health and wholeness. Jillian and Kendall, I'm wondering if you all would name yourselves as seekers? And if so, how has being a seeker been a gift and a challenge? That's such a great question,
2: Kendra. And I've been sitting with that knowing that we were going to be discussing this today and thinking about what did that mean to me to be a seeker and it what came to me was looking back that I, even as a teenager i was looking for a connection to god i didn't really know what that meant back then i was also looking for connection to some kind of community and none of that was coming from a place of really understanding or or what you would Say was healthy. It was coming from a place of need because my family was breaking apart. I was really struggling in my own self and who I was, and all of those questions. So, I think I've always had this pull to wanting a connection to God, but didn't have a language for it for a long time. And and that's been the journey of now coming to this place of recognizing how important this conversation is because so much of my seeking was done from a not healthy place and didn't necessarily attach to other healthy people.
1: Yeah, oh, Thank you, Jillian. I would say I am i am definitely a seeker in the way that you defined it, Kendra. Mm-hmm. You, I think you described a seeker as anyone in search of spiritual connection. And I mean, I always had this longing for spiritual connection, like connection with myself, connection with God, a higher power, spiritual connection with other people—for as long as I can remember—it's always been the like driving force in my life. Um, and and I love that about myself. I think it has made my life richer and deeper, and all the years of searching has um, produced valuable insights along the way. I think one of the challenges of being a seeker that you were sort of alluding to, Kendra. Is this sort of expectation that I've often had that, oh, 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 even this expectation on my search, that um, the people I encounter who seem spiritual or claim to know God should be, will be good people <laughs> with my best intentions at heart, and that they won't pass along things that would be harmful to me. And of course, I've discovered over and over again that that isn't true that I do have to be careful and discerning. Um, and I think the very idea of seeking connotes a sort of openness, right? Like a closed off seeker doesn't really make any sense. So I think I had to learn over time how to stay both open and discerning at the same time. It's like because if I just put up walls everywhere all the time, that halts the seeking, But if I don't have any boundaries, then the seeking can make me vulnerable or susceptible to being taken advantage of or used in some way. So I think for me, one of the challenges is learning how to keep that open seeker heart um, and have these, um, these wise boundaries at the same time.
0: Thanks, Kendall, um, for your offering. It makes me think about the clergy person that I first ran into as an adolescent who cursed for the first time and looked at me as if I should not be shocked and really made me aware that spiritual leaders is just as human as I am, regardless of their titles. When I'm thinking about the humanity that we all stand in and live in, despite what our titles are, I'm thinking about what's in the community and what's in the church. I think the same thing that's in the community is also in our spiritual spaces. So I'm thinking about those who have experienced emotional neglect or abandonment and different abuses um, coming into spiritual spaces. Anecdotally, I've observed how people attach to their spiritual leaders through donning them with titles like spiritual mother or spiritual father sometimes due to their unhealthy attachments to their parental figures or caregivers. Jillian, I'm wondering if you can tell us what unhealthy and healthy attachment bonds are, and how do these bonds show up in faith communities? Sure, Kendra, I will do my best.
2: That is a a big conversation for sure. The whole topic of attachment and what does that mean and what's healthy and what's unhealthy um, is something we could spend a lot of time talking about. But just to give us a a bit of an overview. First of all, I would want to say that none of this is set up in a way that there's a right or a wrong or, you know, really anybody has the perfect attachment. I think we live in a world where, as you were just saying, Kendra, we're all people. And so, you know, we talk about this idea of secure attachment. That's kind of the, the phrase or the the, the way that we would label a healthy attachment is considered a secure attachment. And, you know, those kinds of attachments um, allow for people in an ideal scenario, and it all starts early on. It starts as infants, you know, what is our connection to our caregiver, our parent figures? How did that go? What were their abilities in terms of attaching? And so, if we have a healthy connection, a healthy attachment, we're able to connect with our social networks. We're able to make really informed decisions about the people that we connect to, maybe in a romantic way. Um, we can, have healthy boundaries, we know what boundaries are, I know where I end and where you start, and I can say no to things. And I I have thoughts, patterns and make decisions on my own without always having to make it about the other person. So there's lots of things about secure attachment that are about sort of what we think of when we, I think boundaries is a really great way to look at that. How do we know when we're feeling, you know, we're in a secure attachment is that I can just be me and I can say no to things and I'm not afraid or worried about what the other person's going to think. And then there are what are being considered then less healthy attachments. um, And they show up in different kinds of ways. And they have certain names. And if people want to research these, I'll I'll definitely include some more detailed information in our in our show notes, because again, this could take take up a lot of time. But when we get into what I think I see in in our spiritual spaces, a lot is what would be considered and it's called an anxious preoccupied attachment. And this is, is a situation where an individual would attach to somebody and really La- allow that person to kind of k- take more control of my decisions, or like really just trust and believe a little bit like you were saying, Kindle, that this other person has my best interest, they know better than me, um, I have to do what they say, because if I don't, they're going to reject me. And with attachment, it's all about like that need to connect. And so if we have any fears around that, we're going to make decisions more about what we're anticipating is going to come from the other person. And if it's an anxious attachment, I'm not really thinking about what's best for me. I'm just kind of glomming on, so to speak, um, and not having a voice or a mind of my own. Um, there's other types that are more dismissive. Those are people that maybe are, they have a harder time connecting. Um, they're very independent. So they might have a hard time connecting in, say a home group or or in a spiritual setting where they're being invited to connect to others or share about themselves. Um, They're just going to be sort of dismissive and no, I don't need it. I don't need people. I don't need you. Um, And there can be fearful avoidant and then disorganized. So there's all these different categories. But I think the, the main thing to watch for in spiritual spaces are the ways in which people are really maybe come across as very needy but then it's all whatever you say is right as a spiritual leader and whatever you think is best and always looking for the answers from outside themselves or that push pull. Like I I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And then I don't. And that's another. So that's a lot of, of um, words, but I think The other piece of this that I know we're focusing on the seeker here, but certainly even as leaders, again, we need to be aware of our own attachment cells because certain combinations of these things can can get really complicated. Um, But I think looking at people's boundaries, how are they making decisions? Are they over-involving themselves? Are they really connecting frequently? There's a lot going on Um, or it's this kind of push-pull. I hope that kind of gives you an idea, but it is such a big conversation. There's, it's hard to touch all that in, in our time today.
0: Yeah, it really is. But you gave a crash course. I feel like on, on attachment bonds and what they look like, how they look in our faith communities. And we are all reminded that it starts foundationally in yeah, our family. Absolutely. Systems, right. These unhealthy mm-hmm. or healthy attachments. And I'm wondering, Kendall, Um, what you believe, based on what Jillian has said and just your own experiential learning, makes a seeker vulnerable to the manipulation or coercion or even gaslighting of a spiritual leader, some within a faith community generally?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Kendra. And first, I just, I think, want to echo what you guys have both been saying about attachment, that You know, I think those ruptured attachments in our past can definitely make us more vulnerable. I know that in my own life, there was a lot of religious turmoil in my household growing up, and that gave me this kind of lifelong craving almost for someone to fill a parental role in my life in a spiritual way and so i was i think i was always sort of looking for some elder in my life to give me spiritual nourishment and approval and it's not that needing nourishment and approval is a bad thing i think what happened for me is that that need for approval and nourishment began to eclipse other needs and other voices inside of me and um i I could start to um, lose myself in the effort to, to, to earn that parental approval. So just as an example, I think of what you were saying, Jillian, I think that has, has played out in my own life. And I've had to kind of had to learn to separate myself out from um, other people's opinion of me. Uh, to say more, though, about, you know, what makes a seeker vulnerable... I think the very first thing I want to say about that is that if you have been manipulated or coerced or gaslit by a spiritual leader, it is not your fault. So I think we need to start there. Before we start talking about like what our responsibility is, it's important to say it's not your fault if this has happened to you. Um, I remember, you know, working through my, with my therapist some of the the guilt and shame I felt around the fact that I had sort of let myself be a part of this um, abusive dynamic in my marriage. Right. And she explained it to me this way. She said, you know, it's really not your job to know if someone is going to rob you, it's their job not to steal. And that was just kind of a light bulb moment for me, you know, like, Oh, I am not responsible for someone else's bad behaviors, so I think we need to start there. So good, um,
0: we'll be really good.
1: That being said, I don't mean to suggest that we therefore just could should be passive, right? It's it's absolutely okay to set boundaries for yourself or guard yourself against abuse. Um, if it happens to you, it's not your fault. But, but that doesn't mean you can't take some agency and responsibility for how to, how to protect yourself. Um, I think sometimes as seekers, it's like that longing for connection can blind us to red flags. Um, so when I think about okay well what makes what makes us extra susceptible you know to to harm being done, and there's a couple of things that come to mind for me in terms of um you know whether am whether I'm listening to my gut instincts, right, so if I am shutting down my my gut responses, my gut reactions. That makes me more vulnerable. Whereas when I'm listening and observing and letting my my instincts have a voice, that makes me a little bit more more secure. Um, I also think that um, a couple other things came to mind for me. Um, one is that having other people outside of one group of people that that you're getting feedback for from um, that you're getting feedback from. So if a spiritual leader ever encourages you or tells you not to talk to people outside of them or outside of the group, that is a huge, huge red flag in my opinion. Um, Because if they're telling you who not to talk to, they are trying to control you and take away your agency and your right to think for yourself and form your own connections and decisions. So if you're finding yourself isolated from other influences other voices other community that makes you especially vulnerable i think to manipulation because um, because there's not anything to balance out the maybe the power that, that that particular leader or faith group has has over you those are just a few of the things that come to mind I, i'm sure there are many
0: more we could mention Wow, we can end the show right here, right now. You heard, you heard it. We are not responsible for other people's uh-huh. bad behavior. You have so many gems, Kendall. And one of the things that I am thinking about when you use the term elder and how oftentimes we're looking for external validation um, from elders And I just want to say for me, just because you're older than me, doesn't make you my elder. Mm -hmm. There are certain things and certain ways that you have to show up in order to earn the title of elder for me.
1: So I invite you to simply take your hands and massage them together, placing some pressure into your palms, using some pressure on each of your fingers. And as you do this gentle hand massage, continue to breathe in and out, breathing in and out, feeling your fingers and your palms, squeezing them together, breathing in
2: are you a woman in ministry and looking for wholehearted connection with peers ones who get the ups and downs of vocational life at root grow thrive nourish your soul with retreats groups, spiritual direction workshops and more Get inclusive, embodied, trauma-informed care. Root, grow, and thrive at rootgrowthrive.com.
0: Welcome back to Discovering Wholeness. I'm Kendra Frazier, and we've been talking about the vulnerable seeker we've been talking about emotional abuse and gaslighting. Jillian, I'm wondering if you can add some meaning to some of these words just in case uh, our audience is hearing them for the first time. I'm just still like buzzing with everything that's been said
2: because, you know, I I have to just say that the one other thing, if I could just throw this in before I, I move into this piece around you know, there's something about this whole idea as well. If our attachments weren't healthy early on, and our concept of father or mother or however we define our caregivers um, wasn't wasn't good or healthy or nourishing, it, then you're adding to the mix in these spiritual spaces that now. God is involved, and God is so also so often used and referred to uh, most often, unfortunately, in most spaces as masculine. But but regardless, masculine or feminine, like that authority piece, that parental piece, like you were saying, Kendra. Not only are spiritual leaders, but then that's been brought in, and then that is also another way that that ties in with this idea of emotional abuse. Is that if if as a seeker, I'm being told, well you know, you need to relate to God in a certain way, because they are your parent figure and your parent figure hasn't been healthy. That's another way that we really get set up for more disappointment, more hurt, more wounding, more all kinds of things. It's just a recreation of what we already have experienced. Um I just wanted to, to add that, but I appreciate you um, asking around some of this, what does this all mean? You know, things like gaslighting and emotional abuse. And, and I think the challenge with emotional abuse is it's the one area that it's, it's so subtle. It's so not as visible as, you know, something like physical abuse or um, something that is, you know, you know, it's happening because it's, it's really in the moment, but with emotional abuse, it's anything where, like with gaslighting, gaslighting—the whole kind of underlying idea—is that that a person is sort of making making you feel crazy. Basically, um, they're telling you things that you know aren't even accurate or that are con- contrary to what you believe to be true. Similar to what you were saying, Kendall, about like I'm listening to my gut. I've got this feeling like something's off here. Or, but you're being told by this other person, no, 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 you're that's you're making it up. Or so after a while, you really do start to doubt your own intuition, your own, what you're seeing literally with your own eyes. It's like, well, I I mustn't be seeing things right. And then that just opens the space for more manipulation and control. But I think just sort of some, a few, again, I can add the details of this on our show notes today, but a few really big red flags around emotional abuse are things like humiliation, degradation, put downs, negating your your opinions or negating what you are saying is true criticizing domination control and shame is a huge one in emotional abuse. Like, you know, are you, are they all is the other person telling you they're always right. They're always telling you what you're doing wrong, accusing, blaming, making unreasonable demands. Um, Things like distancing or the silent treatment is another classic form of emotional abuse. Like if I don't say, or behave in a certain way in my relationship and I'm going to get the silent treatment. Um, And then codependence, which is another phrase that we hear a lot or enmeshment that sense of in, when we talked about boundaries, that even in the form of an emotional abuse situation, The other person is expecting you to be there. everything, you know, that whole idea of, you know, I can't exist without you, and uh, you have to be here. And, and so that can show up in spiritual spaces, I think, in in a lot of different ways that might look a little more nuanced than what we're talking about in our general relationships, but, you know, that can continual correction for example from a spiritual leader if you're constantly being told that you're not obeying or you're not you're sinning all the time or how you might be understanding god or is wrong um even though everything in you is you know, believing that God is love and you're being told, no, that's not how it is. Those kinds of things um, are a few things that pop up. And I think you said it well, Kindle, as well. Uh, whenever we're being asked not to talk to other people, not to go outside of our circle, so to speak, not to question, um, those would all be really big red flags around uh, signs of
1: emotional abuse. I was thinking of my own community of the, of the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community and how often um, we're um, submitted on a regular basis to emotional abuse that would say, you know, you're an abomination or using scripture and shame Mm -hmm. um, as a way to try to control who we are, how we behave.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And so it's, it's an emotional manipulation to try to get us to do something or live up to a certain a certain expectation.
0: I want to switch gears a little bit and um, talk about young people. We've been talking a lot about adults. And I remember as a young person having lots of challenges when I was curious about sex and sexuality and having honest conversations with my spiritual community, with my parents and Um, I feel like that made me vulnerable to some things, not having access to comprehensive sex education. And Kendall, I'm wondering, um, and I'm also, before I come to you, Kendall, I'm thinking about my mother giving me a ring at 18 years old before I went off to college to say, this is your commitment to God for you not to have premarital sex and for you to see your body as sacred. Um, Meanwhile, there are all these young people in my college with me who are um, exploring and discovering. Um, And so I'm wondering, Kendall, what are some ways that you feel that purity culture impacts youth and may also make a seeker vulnerable? Mm.
1: I got to say you, you sharing your story prompted um, a story of my own that I wasn't planning to share, but here here it goes. (laughs) Um, You know, when I was first dating um, the man, I would eventually marry. And then that turned out to be abusive. um, There were a lot of red flags, a lot of red flags in the dating relationship, but I hadn't been taught anything about how to have like actual boundaries. And so I wasn't able to see them. And a couple of, um, adults in my life who um, kind of saw what was happening, tried to talk to me about it. But instead of uh, talking to me about healthy boundaries, the way they approached that conversation was to ask me if we had been kissing because um, they said that when I um, accepted a purity ring at the age of 12, that I was promising there from their view, I was promising um, to never kiss until marriage. And so here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, 19 or 20 years old at this point, and 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 feeling very, very shamed for kissing um, someone that I was dating. So instead of being empowered to stand my ground and have boundaries with this person who was clearly um, not respecting me well, I felt that I was somehow doing something wrong.
0: And so it was like
1: that, you know, that whole purity culture. Um, way of talking just totally skewed a conversation that I probably really needed someone to have with me um but it 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 wasn't what came out was not what I needed um so there's an example from my own life and and I want to kind of zoom out a little bit to talk about purity culture more in general And and for anyone who's listening in and doesn't know doesn't know what we're talking about um you know what is purity culture i i would say you know its central tenet is this notion that premarital sex is wrong and everyone should save themselves for marriage but it's really more of a whole pervasive theology and philosophy around bodies and sexuality that often permeates particularly evangelical christianity the thing I really want to say about it in this context is that the the way I think it makes young people more vulnerable to religious and spiritual abuse is because purity culture ends up teaching people that their bodies, their desires, and their instincts cannot be trusted. Purity culture thrives on the capacities to suppress emotions. You know we're taught that that our sexual instincts our sexual desires all of that is bad and wrong unless you have a ring on your finger and the person opposite you, you with the ring on the finger isn't the opposite gender <laughs> um, and outside of that context all those desires and feelings are bad and then you're not really taught what to do with them either other than to just suppress them or pretend that they're not there and if you're gay suppress them for your eternity Um And so we don't learn how to have relationship to our bodies. We don't have learn how to have a relationship to our instinct. And so then take sexuality out of it. You're just, I don't know, at church camp listening to a preacher and something that preacher is saying doesn't sit well in your body. You're getting sweaty. Your heart starts racing. And your body is giving you a signal that what you're hearing is wrong or doesn't work or isn't true, but you don't think you can trust your body. you got to trust the preacher. And yeah, so good, you know. I'm, I think I'm starting to preach here. I'm getting fired up. Okay. Bring it, <laughs> yeah. I'm hearing it. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> so I just think, you know, if I could boil it down to a nutshell, like purity culture is this whole big thing, but if I could boil it down, that's the element that I think sets us up for failure. The most is this way that it severs us from our bodies and our inner knowing. Um, and it, it just makes young people vulnerable because from the get-go, they're being taught, don't trust that voice inside you. Don't mm-hmm. trust what your body says. Don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. You have to always look to external authority because um, you can't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. I just, if I could just jump in for one second, Kendra, because
2: what's really coming up for me as well around what you just said, Kendra, which was just amazing Um, is just this whole idea as well of how trauma shuts down our body and our sense of intuition and what we're hearing. And so you combine that then with what you're talking about and this whole discussion around purity culture, it's like another layer of suppression and oppression because I've already shut my body down because of trauma. And now I'm in this space where I was seeking, and this is supposed to be people who are, you know, healthy and have my, my best interests at heart. And all of the things that trauma has done in my life, and then add purity culture on top of that. And it's like a double triple whammy um, because I don't even necessarily have access to my body or my intuition or what I might be perceiving to be off because it got shut down already before I ever got here. Yeah. So it's just such a,
0: ugh. <laughs> I don't have a word.
2: I have a sound.
0: It's my sound. That is a great sound for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, no worries. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing trauma into the space. Um, And Kendall, thank you for um, making us aware of the importance of knowing your somatic cues, being in alignment with your inner knowingness. I think that that is ultimately for me what makes a seeker vulnerable is not knowing the gift of your own divinity. Uh, I often think of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the divine, and then we're taught not to trust the divinity within us. Yes. Our own self, which is. Free chicken. <laughs> which is crazy to me. Um, but I think if we can grow up in spiritual spaces that teach us that we are our own authorities in terms of being our own spiritual compasses. Um, in relationship to the divine, then there would be a lot less hardship in many of our lives. Um, This is such rich conversation. Thank you all.
2: I know. We need another hour because I got all my thoughts are happening over here.
1: (laughs) Speaking of somatic, I'm like sweating because I'm getting
0: Okay. This is wonderful. I believe that most people are less vulnerable to the unhealthy whims and dictates of others when they are clear about their own worth and value. In addition to setting healthy boundaries and seekers being intentional about their healing, what are, uh, are there any practices you all would invite seekers to participate in to strengthen their own sense of self-love, self-awareness, and self-confidence?
1: Yeah, I have, well, two things are coming to my mind in particular for me. One is I was remembering um, writing in my journal, the question I was like in my late 20s or so when I wrote the question, who am I? Mm-hmm. And I was like, sort of surprised and shocked to realize how much I did not know how to answer that question, like outside of some normal answers, like I am a daughter or I am a wife or this is my vocation. I had a really hard time be- get- getting beyond those sorts of answers. And I think, you know, it's hard to set boundaries if you don't even know who you are to begin with. Um, so I think that, you know, practices of, of making I am statements, Mm -hmm. I am, you know, we, we Mm -hmm. end each session with, I am whole. And then Mm -hmm. what else would you add to that? You know, Mm -hmm. I am sensitive. I am intuitive. I am creative. I am strong. I am brave. You know, knowing kind of what your essence is, um, you know, and speaking of evangelical purity culture, I remember hearing a worship leader when I was um, probably in high school talking about God being the I am. Mm-hmm. But then he went on to talk about, and so we are, I am not. What? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this kind sounds of sounds like... <laughs> coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this whole like, you know, juxtaposition of like God is, and then we are like lowly and diminishing. And it's like, that is not helpful at all. The second thing I was gonna say is that, um, for me, for me, my self, this may sound counterintuitive. I don't know, but for me, developing my self confidence has gone hand in hand with learning how to listen to my anger. Because most of my life, I was taught that anger was a bad thing, and so I didn't, I didn't give it any, you know, I didn't pay it any attention until I finally figured out that anger is this really important messenger. And that anger is there to tell me that a violation has occurred, which means if I don't listen to the anger, I might not recognize the violation. And so the more, the more I've been able to cultivate that relationship with my anger um, so that I can hear what it's trying to tell me, like your anger will help tell you who you are if you know how to listen yeah, to it. That's so good. I think that's an area
2: that as a woman, as a cisgender woman, that's been also shut down in this world of like, you know, it's, it's not okay for me to be angry or okay for me to notice my anger. It's just all about, you know, suppressing that and not listening to it and that it's not okay if I don't. So really important point. Yeah. And I think along with what you're saying, I, I just find that in general, in our culture, we're so shut down from our bodies, I think some of the most important work we can do is finding ways that we can get back in touch with our body, our physical body, whether that's yoga, or some other kind of movement, or, you know, whatever it is that we are ready to do in terms of our relationship to our body, because that can be a really nuanced and really loaded kind of space for people. But we need to learn to listen and and um, physically as well as what you're saying, Kendall, which is so important. Like, what are our emotions trying to tell us? And sometimes even journaling, like you know, there's some ways to actually ask questions. And in narrative therapy, there's some beautiful externalization ways that we can talk to our anger or our sadness. And what do they have? What does it have to say to us? And actually let it speak as if it was present in the room with us as its own person. Um, definitely, but. Yeah, I think just as much of those kinds of connecting to ourselves and our inner truth, that divine within us, as you said, Kendra, so beautifully. Like that's where that's where the answers are. Like, and giving ourselves permission to trust that again is a long process for some, but it's vital if we're not going to just get pulled in again to more unhealthy um, connections and unhealthy ways of thinking or being.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with what both of you have said. Um, One of the things that I would add is for people to really integrate ritual into their day-to-day as a sacred practice of honoring yourself um, and honoring the community that you exist within. Um, And what I mean by ritual, it can look a myriad of different ways. I know I used to have a ritual when I was a chaplain, Working in a hospital, um, and every time I would leave a patient's room, I would wash my hands with intentional prayers um, as I was washing to release whatever I picked up, to take back whatever um, could possibly be left in the person's room. For me, that was not healthy. Um, another ritual that I practice, and I've talked about this before, is ancestral veneration lighting a candle at my ancestral shrine to remind me that I don't do this work alone. Because so often as seekers, it can become um, hard to remember that we are not isolated islands, that we can be vulnerable with people and reach out to people, regardless of how we've been hurt before. But I think remembering that there is an unseen spiritual community that we can tap into of the people whose backs and shoulders that we stand upon um, is really helpful just for my own peace of mind and awareness this has been such a rich conversation that Jillian, myself, and Kendall have had on the vulnerable seeker, what it looks like, how we protect ourselves and set healthy boundaries. We talked about emotional abuse and how that shows up in church spaces and spiritual spaces in general. Um, For those that have been listening, if this conversation has touched you in any way or things are coming up for you as we've talked about this very sensitive topic, please know that you have several resources that are at your disposal that will also be in our show notes of resources that you can reach out to to take care of yourself we know that this information is good information, but it can also be challenging information. So we want to invite you to make sure that you've taken care of you. So
2: with all that we've talked about today and, and all that may have come up as we close this episode and in this moment, we invite you to place your right hand over your heart to remind yourself and to say out loud, I I am whole.
0: I'm Kendra Frazier.
2: I'm Jillian Drader. And I'm Kendall Ruffus. We are Discovering Wholeness, Healing Trauma, Unearthing Self.
0: Join us in conversation at Discovering Wholeness Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Also at Discovering Wholeness Podcast, you can reach out to each of the hosts and also find out more about our practices.
2: Discovering Wholeness is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media.
1: Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. If you are in crisis and need help in the United States, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's one 800 273 82
2: in Canada, call the Center for Suicide Prevention at 1-833-456-4566. That's 1-833-456-4566.
0: You can also use the Crisis Text Line from either country by texting the word HOME to 741741. That's HOME. H-O-M-E to 741-741 to access a crisis counselor 24 hours a day, seven days a week.